The sequel cast airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Cascadia.fm online internet streaming radio you can also download episodes of the sequel cast from www.sequelcast.com well, you know what i love my favorite thing in the dojo though is those like those scrolls on the walls with like the 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 the, the rules of of the martial arts like r- rule one martial arts are only to be used to defend rule number <laughs> two learn yeah. rule number one yeah there was a podcast called the sequel cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The sequel cast. It's the sequel cast. It's the sequel cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello, this is Uncle Milkshake, and welcome to the Sequel Cast, a podcast about movie franchises where we look at movies in a series one movie at a time. We're in the middle of looking at Karate Kid. Uh, this episode, we're looking at Karate Kid 2. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. With me is Thrasher. Hey, Uncle Milkshake. You're coming on pretty strong today. Thank you. And a special guest, BJ. I just got laid off from my day job today, and we're going to talk about Karate Kid 2. So, let's get to it. I'm self-employed, which is another way of saying poor, but happy. <laughs> right. And I am a corporate dog. For the costume shop still, right? Uh, yes, yes, for the, the party chain. Can you pimp it? Is there a website for it? Uh, I'd rather not. Okay. Um, I'm the one who pimps products such as D-Infinity Volume 2, available now on DriveThruRPG.com from Skirmisher Publishing. Yes, but you have things to be proud of in pimp, and I'm not proud of it. <laughs> Well, let's, uh, you can visit the website, SequelCast.com. Send us an email, SequelCast at gmail.com. You can also listen to us uh, live on Cascadia.fm on uh, Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time. Even though the episodes are pre-recorded, it's a live streaming internet radio station at Cascadia.fm. Well, what is time, really? Uh, that's a question for the uh, Stephen Hawking episode of SequelCast. Which doesn't <laughs> the Hudson Hawking. Hudson Hudson Hawking. Okay, Karate Kid Part 2. Like the first film, this is directed by John G. Alvidson, who was the director of Rocky 1 and 5. Like the first one, this is written by Robert Mark Kamen. It also stars, you know, Pat Morita, Ralph Macchio, but has some Japanese actors such as Danny Kamikona, Yuji Okamoto, uh, Tamlin Tomita, and Nobu McCarthy. Like the first film, this has a score by Bill Conti, who also did music for Rocky 1 through 4, and uh, Rocky Six, also known as Rocky Balboa. This came out in 1986. So the original Karate Kid came out in 84, so just two years later. Karate Kid 2 had an uh, uh, Academy Award nomination for Best Song for Peter Cetera's song, The Glory of Love. Very famous. I'll be the man who will fight for your honor. That song. Uh, yeah. It's funny that both Karate Kid 1 and Karate Kid 2 have sort of spawned songs that you still hear today, sometimes ironically and sometimes not. I think well, more ironically more. than not than not these days. Um, and, you know, looking at one of the posters for the film... It's interesting that, you know, it still just has a, a classic image of uh, Daniel-san and uh, Mr. Miyagi. 
just sort of these profiles next to each other. No, it's and, very it's minimalist compared to what you see today. I like that. Even though it is floating heads, so to speak, it's it's two profiles against a black background, very clean design. Uh, if you want to look at the poster we're talking about, if you look on uh, Karate Kid Part 2 in Wikipedia, that's uh, what we're mentioning. I'm sure there were various posters made for this movie. Um, uh, unless, of course, Skynet has absorbed the Internet into itself, in which case you won't be able to access any data. Uh, so if you're listening to this future human resistance, thank you for keeping your technology pure. So Karate Kid Part 2, I uh, let's start off with what we always do in sequel cast. When did you first? Sorry, when did you first see Karate Kid Part Two? BJ, uh, I guess I I was probably <clears throat> I know I never saw it in the theaters. I was only about four years old at the time, so I'm guessing probably about two years later uh, I had seen it. <clears throat> and you see, you know, you know, you see parts of movies for the longest time. Like, <clears throat> I mean, if I'd never seen Star Wars, I'd always thought <clears throat> Empire Strikes Back is where it started. I oh. Thing happened with Karate Kid where I'd never seen all of cur- original Karate Kid, and uh, so number two is where it started for me back in uh, that would be like '88 ish. Huh. You know, when I I was like in first grade uh, when I saw the original Karate Kid on video, but I didn't see Karate Kid two until I was uh, 25 years old, uh, working at a <laughs> at a store called Movie Stop in uh, in the Atlanta Georgia area. And um, a, a perk of working at that uh, used DVD store is we could check out any movie we wanted and take it home and watch it, including box sets. So I was flipping through the Karate Kid <clears throat> box set and sat down and watched uh, Karate Kid 2 as a perk of working at that job. And um, so, uh, Thrasher? Well, I guess I saw the the final fight scene of Karate Kid in the late 80s, of Karate Kid Part 2 in the late 80s, Probably on HBO, and all I yeah. ever remembered was an American guy and a Japanese guy fighting, and lots of those drums. I actually did not see the entire movie until this morning. Oh, okay, so fresh, so it's very uh, fresh for me, very fresh. And I do want to mention a piece of uh, <coughs> trivia. So the beginning of Karate Kid Part Two it uh, recaps the original Karate Kid through uh, you know. Stock footage, I don't know, a montage. Yeah, you, get a, you get a cliff notes of the movie, but it still actually works. It really, like, yeah. it's really dark. Yeah, no, it's, it's a decent cliff notes. way to bring someone into a sequel when you actually can, in a sense, Karate Kid 2 can stand on itself on its own. Like, you don't have to see the first one because, here, we brought you up to speed. Right, but the whole sequence in uh, Karate <laughs> Kid 2, at the beginning, where uh, Danielson walks out with uh, Mr. Miyagi out in the parking lot, and they have a sort of final encounter with uh, John Kreese, the evil sensei played by Martin Cove. That was a scene filmed for the original Karate Kid movie, and that was meant to be the ending of the first Karate Kid movie. But they decided to, um, you know, end things in the first movie on a high note with him winning the fight with a sort of freeze frame, that's sort of a classic Rocky-style ending. And they just pasted it on the beginning of Karate Kid Part Two. Do you think that works as an opening when it's immediately followed by six months later? I think I think it works as an opening. It's a good like you care about you immediately care about the two characters from what you see from the, the sort of opening you know, flashback to the first film. But immediately it gives you just a mini conflict and a great action packed ending. And that that fight sequence that sequ- the, the, with with him and, with Mr. Miyagi and the head of Cobra Kai 
really tells you everything you need to know about Mr. Miyagi as a martial artist, a father figure, and as a man. And as a sense of humor, too, I think is important to Mr. Miyagi. But right, I mean, they walk out in the parking lot, they see uh, Head of Cobra Kai, you know, having one of their star students in a headlock ready to beat the shit out of him in the parking lot because they lost the tournament. And if that is no, they didn't say, lose, they came in second. They came in second, but you know that you might as well have got last place if you're in Cobra Kai if you get second place. Uh, but you know that scene is very intense. You have some blood where uh, John Kreese, the head of Cobra Kai, is punching through car windows. But Mr. Miyagi, not intentionally, not intentionally. Mister, he's trying to hit Miyagi. Hey. You know, Mr. Miyagi definitely stops out of the way. The music swells, and you think that's all. So, so yeah, Mr. So. Uh, John Kreese would, would uh, was going to was you know throwing these high power punches at Mr. Miyagi, who is just kind of gently stepping out of the way at the last minute. And Kreese's fist is going through the uh, the side windows of cars, which the owners of those cars were probably pretty <laughs> upset when they found their windows imploded. Yep, and uh, you know you see that happen, and then Miyagi bends over Kreese, kind of has him, you know, he's ready to strike, and you think, oh my god, he's going to kill him. He might actually unleash his dark side, so to speak. And what happens is Miyagi instead kind of honks his nose and goes, honk, honk, and says, uh, you know, sort of gives a brief speech about compassion and how he's the better man for not dealing a fatal blow. And... Well, well, he doesn't really would, that scene would not have worked with Toshiro Mifune or... Oh, maybe with Shiba Fune, but not Maka. Oh, no, yeah. the alternate choices for... Um, yeah, the other alternate choices. I think, I think of, that's definitely a very Pat Morita scene. I mean, that they considered Toshiro Mifune for the role as Miyagi. Uh, Toshiro Mifune uh, was a great uh, samurai actor in a lot of the Akira Kurosawa films, but he was the basis for the uh, John Belushi parody of... Um, what was it, the Samurai Hamburger Man? <laughs> what was it called? There was like Samurai Tax Preparer, Samurai... Yeah. Samurai yeah. Delicatessen is one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> Delicatessen, that's it, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, but the way he'd speak uh, Japanese or say things in English, his English, A, was not very good, and B, he was just so fierce. I think he might have been more terrifying than a um, sort of very warm, loving uh, performance. Um Pat Morita gives his Miyagi. I've seen some of his other work, and and his non samurai stuff is very good. I think I think that's something we should look into doing on the sequel cast is some stuff with Toshiro Mifune. He actually did sequels. Uh, you know, there, he did a movie called Yojimbo, and it had a sequel called Sanjuro, and those were yes, uh, Akira Kurosawa movies in which he played the same <laughs> character. But you know, it's like James Bond, where the plot isn't necessarily carryover, mm. but it's about a badass samurai. But, um, he did about, I think, 16 movies with Kurosawa. Oh, shit. Yeah, a lot. Definitely a lot. Through the early and middle period of Kurosawa's career, in fact. But this is not the Kurosawa cast. This is sequel cast. So back to Karate Kid 2. I'm full of piss and vinegar for this episode. Uh, you got that fire in you. So after the scene, it's six months later, and it's fairly contrived how... Uh, Ralph Macchio and uh, Pat Morita get to Okinawa. Well, they, See, they I don't really, really like it because it's it's very eighties hokey movie style. Like it, it's quick. You go, and, and just the, oh, the girl dumps him for the football. Play. It's so it's like such a, all those little stereotypes that just make it fun. 
Well, the thing the thing I like about that though is that it is you know when when uh, when Daniel you know comes comes to Miyagi's place in like in the middle of the day in his prom tux talking <laughs> about how his girlfriend left him. Isn't that so much like you know your your experience with teenage love? It burns very bright, but then it dies out quickly. It just comes and goes, but is so intense when it's there. I, I find I find that very truthful. I mean, what, there's that one there's that one pop song that has a lyric: "When a heart breaks, it don't break even." I don't recall what song that is, but yeah, along those lines, sure. I mean, it's it burns very brightly, then it, it flames out, and uh, having. I Trucks having the truck he got as a present before is dying and sputtering. <laughs> like everything is could possible is going wrong for Daniel. I, I, it's always good to see your hero down because he just came. We just came off the biggest high point in his life so far, so we gotta we gotta cut him down a few notches before we can give him something else to overcome. Sure, I mean having sympathy is is very important for a hero. You want him to grow somehow. If he's just you know, an invincible uh, magic karate man who never feels bad. That's not a very interesting lead character. You know, what happens is in uh, Daniel's uh, mother in the movie gets a job in another city. Well, her company temporarily transfers. Her comfort, it's a temporary transfer, but Daniel doesn't want to move, even though he's just out of high school, so it shouldn't really matter. But um, Miyagi offers uh, for Daniel to stay in his guest room. Is he just out of high school though? Because like he, it's the prom. It's the like, prom. Yeah, he's actually he was actually on the verge of entering um, college, and the, the, he used his tuition money to buy the plane ticket. Well, I remember that, but right. for for some reason, Daniel just seems very young in this movie. He seems like sixteen or seventeen to me. He does not seem college ready in, in my eyes. Yeah, speaking of which, I caught like. Um... The first ten minutes and the last ten minutes of the new Karate Kid movie with uh, Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan, mm-hmm. and the kid in that one—I mean, he's he's like supposed to be twelve or thirteen and like cries throughout the entire film. So I mean, that's something to big. But you're right. I mean, in this movie, well, he cries because that role was meant to show off his acting. <laughs> Maybe, but uh, I mean, yeah, with uh, you know Ralph Macchio, he still plays the character very young even though he was in his early 20s at the time of this movie. I mean, as a young man, Ralph Macchio looked very young and could very still convincingly pass off as a high school student. So yeah, It's not like Harry Potter nowadays. Where... <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, speaking of Hollywood contrivances, did any of you notice how... Because um, the, the actual inciting incident from this film is Mr. Miyagi receiving a letter from Japan, but did any of you notice anything unusual about how he gets that letter? The postman goes up and, uh, you know, delivers the letter, and he says, like, Yo, Mr. Miyagi. And Daniel's like, No, it's Mr. Miyagi. He's, like, very angry he mispronounced uh, Miyagi's last name. Well, I mean, Daniel's very connected to this person. You you hear somebody mispronounce... But you just talk shit to postmen randomly. Well, that's not what what surprised me. Oh, no? This postman has a letter to deliver to Mr. Miyagi, so he the, he just immediately walks into Mr. Miyagi's backyard and hands him the letter, and then starts talking, and then just like starts, oh wow, this this backyard, hey, bring the missus by, <laughs> yeah, I want to bring the missus by, and it's like, and and it's it's oh, why why are you invading the guy's backyard, Mr. Postman? It's like. 
he barges in as if he really knows the guy, but he clearly doesn't. He mispronounces the name, doesn't know what's there. Now, could Miyagi's a mailbox be, you know, on his ground? You have to go through a gate to get to the mailbox. But then why would it be the first time the postman had ever had ever seen it? You know? He did a signature for the, the letter, if you remember right. So well, maybe he, like, he heard them talking and banging hammers in the back. Oh, hey, let me go on and run back. Okay, I guess. And, I you know, guess I bet that, he was thinking, yeah. you know, I bet that short Italian kid, I bet that one's Miyagi out of the two. I know, it just, it just seems like, you know, we, we need we need to get this inciting incident to happen quickly as possible. Let's just have the mailman hand it directly to him. Let's no, I'm not really more Daniel bothered by the crap when they're on the plane and uh, Daniel opens up a book and full of, like, factoids about Okinawa. <laughs> and he's like, oh, did you know in Okinawa uh, they eat rice with chopsticks? And Miyagi's like, go to sleep, I'm tired. It's, it's not that bad. Almost. <laughs> Factoids he reads aren't that bad. <laughs> well, you see, one of the reasons I really like this movie is that the... One of the reasons I like this one... Hold on, guys. Sure. Uh, well, anyway, so, so yeah. So, well, well, I'm going to say, let's talk about the, that letter Miyagi gets from Japan. Right. The, um, the letter is from... Okay, so even though in the first movie, Miyagi talks about... He had a wife who died in childbirth as he was fighting in World War II for the uh, America against for the Japanese. The for America against the Japanese, his own people. I guess sometime after that, or maybe you know, when he was younger, he he had another woman he uh, fancied, and he. This had to have. I don't know if did they say if this happened before his first marriage or after. That's what I'm always. Oh wondering. no, it was, it was before because it was like in like okay. the, it was like from the twenties to the thirties. So it was had- like his first serious love, and he was about to propose. But she was arranged to marry another man, and, um, you know, they they challenged to a fight, and Miyagi, uh, instead of fighting, you know, ran away, because that was more honorable. He didn't want to disgrace what had already been an arranged marriage, so he sort of uh, tucked, uh, tucked his tail in and went to America and fought in World War II and all that stuff. So, he gets a letter that his father is uh, is dead. His father is, is sick. And it's sick, almost dead. It's not not quite dead. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he, he he feels that that tugging back to his homeland. So he decides he's gonna have to he's gonna have to make that trip. It's it's one of the reasons I like this movie is because as especially stuff at this time period, the accu- the accuracy of the culture is pretty good. You know, their, their Japanese references are actually very good considering the stuff that was coming out in the 80s with crazy Japan stuff. Although the movie was filmed in uh, Hawaii, not Japan, but that's fine. Well, I, you, you know what I, I what I, I did notice when, you know, they get they get to Japan, it's we don't see the slick, high-tech, sexy, exotic Japan we see the rural, traditional Japan, but it's not traditional in, like, a pantomime way. Everything appears to be a, just a very honest portrayal of, of rural Japanese life. Oh, right, and... Uh, you don't see the, the lights of Tokyo. You know, five years ago, I spent a, a month in Japan with some friends, oh, and... Uh, Okinawa is way away from Tokyo. Well, sure, and I, I never got a chance to visit Okinawa, but I got to visit parts of rural Japan, and certainly that architecture... The way of the people. I mean, it literally, in some of these places, it feels like you're walking back in time uh, 60 years, and it, it, it's a very uh, surreal experience. So I, I agree, BJ. I think they get 
even though I've never been to Okinawa, um, I feel that's the thing they get they get right. And you might look at that and see, oh, that's stereotypical. The Asians all uh, speak broken English and are respectful of their family and uh, whatever else. But, see, I found the use of English in this one was actually very. It was very understandable in the way that it works. You notice a lot of people still use straight Japanese. Some of your main characters who were important people in the village, well, they would have to deal with the people from the air base, which is right next door, literally, and would have to use English. And so it wasn't as as bad as some places where they just use English instead of the native language. Yeah, you know, I I didn't notice it until you mentioned the thing about the about the United States military base being right by Miyagi's uh, old neighborhood, because that's true. It it makes the use of English in the film completely unartificial. It makes it seem very natural and organic. And so when the characters go from Japanese to English, from English to Japanese, it works very smoothly. So. <clears throat> They fly into Japan, and um, they find, you know, an unexpected sort of limo with uh, their name uh, in front of it and stuff, and they go, oh, this is sort of a treat. And they go in there and are unexpectedly uh, taken to a warehouse where uh, Miyagi's nemesis, who also married, you know, his his original lover named... uh, His nemesis is named Sato, and he's a very... um, very tough, imposing guy, and he has a nephew named uh, Chosen. Chosen Taguchi. And Chosen is older than Daniel, taller. I mean, they're definitely stepping up the stakes as far as the bad guys go in this movie. He's, he's he, yeah, they're stepping it up, but almost to a comical like he. You look at Sato and Chosen, and you they look like Yakuza stereotypes. Yep, that's true. With sunglasses like, and the suits. Young street Yakuza, and then one of them's like old-time Yakuza with his suit and his sunglasses in a dark warehouse. Well, I kind of like that, because it just felt <laughs> like the series was wading into even more traditional martial arts film territory. Maybe it's, it must have been on purpose with the setting. We also know that Miyagi had to know what was going to happen. Like, he had to have been knowing, because what you understand about the character is that he's a lot smarter than he lets on. He, yeah. he knew very well that this was not sent by the village people. Well, no, and you know, Sato, his presence, you know, he's a stocky man, big build, you know, muscly, but stocky. But he has such a great voice, he'll say th- things like, uh, Miyagi, we must have the tournament. And it, it's, it's fearful in a different way than Kreese was in the first one. <coughs> yes, yeah, Sato, the first half of the film, Sato really does feel like a force of nature just waiting to explode. <laughs> And later, a literal force of nature attacks the village. Well, hold on, don't get ahead of yourself, Uncle Milkshake. Spoilers for a 20-year-old movie. Sorry, 25 years old. That we're discussing in depth. Yeah. Um, oh, I do want to point out a piece of trivia. Not trivia, but something sequel cast related that's unrelated to Karate Kid. We got our first uh, written review on iTunes. All right. Did you know that? So... Anyone? Well, go, how was it? Anyone? I'm going to read it out loud right now, including who wrote it. Who I, I I don't I don't know who wrote it. So we can track him down. Yeah, track him down and uh, or her. Send him a Karate Kid box set. I'm just kidding about the or it. box set part. So on uh, if you go to iTunes, look up sequel cast. You can give us reviews and so forth. Uh, but someone left a review. Yeah. So this is from someone on iTunes named Angel SF. 
He did the review on February 18th, 2011. This is his review uh, of the sequel cast, which you're listening to right now. Um, he says the sequel cast has a... He rates it 5 out of 5 stars and says, Crappy microfo- microphone quality, lame opening song, and really odd comedy style, but entertaining and fun, like watching and talking about movies with friends. Cool podcast, recommend. I loved the Batman series of episodes. So uh, thank you very much, Angel SF, for the review. Um, you know, to address the lame theme song, I agree. I don't think it's <laughs> it was a theme song improvised in one take. Um, well, you you know, I have I have a friend who's a who's a professional composer who might be willing to do a real song for us if you want me to get in contact with her. Uh, yes, that'd be great. Really right, odd comedy, really odd comedy style. Um, Sure, uh, you know, we're very unique with the comedy and what we talk about. There's other movie shows, but only we are the sequel cast. Uh, crappy mic quality, that's part of doing a show through Skype and the way I record it. Um, so, back to Karate Kid 2. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so there, we're all set up to have an intense showdown in this, uh, in this warehouse... But then you know Miyagi's able to is able to get some some wiggle room out of it get by you know bringing up the fact that he needs to see his father before he dies. And when he sees his father, you uh, you learn that uh, Miyagi's father trained both Miyagi and Sato. Is that correct? Y- yes. Yeah. Right. And Sato is there, you know, seeing uh, Miyagi's father's last words, which is he has Sato and Miyagi sort of hold hands and shake shake hands. So it's not last words, I guess it's the last gesture for the two of them. And because of that, Sato gives Miyagi a deadline of three days until their uh, showdown. But meanwhile, uh, Daniel, you know, is getting over the girl from the U.S. because he runs into a Japanese lady called uh, Yuki or Kumiko. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you know, I like, I really like the actress choice on because she's not like, she looks kind of girl next story if she was from Japan, like girl if the girl next door was from Japan. She doesn't look like oh my god, it's Elizabeth Shue. Well, also, um, you know, in the first movie, Daniel was shy and Elizabeth Shue was more assertive. In this one, Daniel is still shy and Kumiko is shy as well. So that's a slightly different <laughs> dynamic. And uh, I think it, it feels like you could feel like these two would be more attracted uh, more realistically than uh, with Elizabeth Shue in the first picture. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm not going to say Daniel's shy it's that he's still figuring his way around women See, I, he's, I also shy weird, he's also kind of concerned because he's it's not like he's going to he could see this girl for very long you don't know no, that's true and he I knows like, he's the outsider so um and another thing about Karate Kid 2 that makes it very much like an 80's movie is there's an environmentalist bent to it you know I always see that as a more of a 90's thing 80s, 90s, yeah, it kind of bridged the late 80s, early 90s with Captain Planet and uh, Toxic Avenger in, in some respect. Yeah, sure, I'll give you that. Uh, but what's the environmentalist uh, thing with this movie? Well, the uh, the uh, the area, of, uh, the part of Okinawa where Mr. Miyagi was born and, and grew up in, it used to be a, a big fishing village, but uh, overfishing depleted the fish stock, so it's it's messed with the town economically. And uh, now they're getting by with now they're getting by with vegetable farming. You see, I think it's more of an economic commentary than an environmental commentary. 
Well, and the whole thing about uh, fish populations being a trouble is a real thing in Japan today. Uh, you know, well, it's a real it, thing in a lot of places. Well, sure, but Japan in particular eats a lot of fish. With uh, they don't just eat sushi all day long, but you know they eat a lot of fish in their diet, and they're having to send ships out to parts of Alaska, up the coast of Hawaii, like real deep sea fishing stuff to get the fish they wanted. And because they're getting some of these fish way in the bottom of the ocean, they're getting fish with more uh, mercury content than before. And that's a sort of separate issue, but, I mean, it's related to economics and the environment. Well, well you know, I guess that's one thing that, that is good about <laughs> this movie is that it, what, whatever this, it, this, this environmental economic angle remains an undertone. You're never hit over the head with it. And that's one, I guess, a, a truth that, that works for both the environment and economics. You can use too much of a resource. You can deplete a resource to the point where the system collapses. Uh, or can't sustain itself, whether that's an environmental system or an economic system. Right. I mean, it's not like Star Trek Four in this movie where they go and save the fishies in the ocean. Well, they save they save three whales. Three whales. Well, yes, three whales. Two, in Star Trek. two whales. Well, one's pregnant. But what are whales? Oh, but really yeah, big fish. They're and, uh, they're they're cetaceans. They're a type of mammal. <laughs> well, and then wasn't the whale uh, played by Kirstie Alley? I believe. Oh Lord, here we go. <laughs> Uh, be, be nice to that woman. Uh, her, her Twitter account is her Twitter account is hilarious. She's a unique uh, individual and a Scientologist. So, um, uh, so about Karate Kid too. Yes. So in Karate Kid too, Daniel has to fight against a whale skilled in the martial arts. <laughs> hey, nobody said Sato was going to fight with a. With Daniel there. No, he fights against Kirstie Alley. That's the twist ending. Sato is <laughs> Kirstie Alley in a Japanese man suit. I think they're saving that for the Karate Kid Part 6. He and a monkey jump into a hot rod and then drive off into the sunset. <laughs> but, you know, you look at the overall um, plot and setting of Karate Kid Part 2 with, you know, concentrating more on Miyagi and going to Japan, where um, in the first one, Daniel's a fish out of water going from Jersey to California, and here he's a fish out of water from California to Japan. That is a fairly novel way to take things. You could have easily done a Karate Kid Part 2 about um, a younger kid uh, moves into Daniel's apartment complex and uh, Daniel has to train him karate for a karate tournament because Miyagi is dying. You know, like that would have yeah, been, been a better reboot. You know, we should have had Ralph Macchio teaching Jaden Smith karate. Yeah, no, that would have been, been cool. And then it would have been actual karate and not kung fu. Yes. Uh... <laughs> Right, because in the new Karate Kid, it's in China, and he's being taught Kung Fu, not karate. But um, Which is such an 80s thing to do, is call it Karate Kid and set it somewhere else in Asia. <laughs> but it was made in 2010. Uh, this, this is getting more complicated than, uh, than pre-crisis DC continuity. <laughs> so you see, when the red and blue Superman came into the scene with their electricity powers... Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that that could have been a movie, so be careful. Could have been a Nicolas Cage was supposed to be Superman, but we're talking about Karate Kid 2, so I'm going to stop derailing our show, even though I'm the host. Well, we've got this, you know, we've got this, you know, martial arts duel coming up. One thing that I thought was really cool, though, is that you learn a lot about Miyagi's family history. Let's talk about the drum. Okay, that too. Well, that's part of his, his, his family history. Uh... What what I really one of the things again I liked about it is that 
they really touch on the both Chinese and Japanese ancestry of Okinawa. Uh, it has changed hands a lot through the centuries. And they, they do a lot of bridging the gap, especially when they start talking about Miyagi's, um, you know, great, great ancestor who brought karate there. From Japan. China. I, I love, yeah. I love that story because it just, it feels like a perfect, it feels like just a perfect myth that, that, that you know, Mr. Miyagi's ancestor was a fisherman who liked to fish and he liked sake. And one day he was drunk in his boat. There was a storm <laughs> and it blew him all the way, all the way to China. Right, and then he right. came back from China ten years later, bringing with him a wife, a son, and a martial new martial arts techniques. And you know, also when they go into um, Miyagi's family uh, dojo, you see all these uh, illustrations on the wall of the Miyagi family lineage. And when Miyagi tells that story, he tells it, um, you know, much like his uh, monologue about his wife and stuff in the first movie. He flat out tells it in like a single camera shot, no flashbacks to what that looked like. You sort of have to form this legend in your head, and it's to the point, uh, a wonderful little speech, like you said, Thrasher. We, it's like you're getting, to- it's like you're getting told a, a, a great, a great myth, I guess. You know, yeah. a, a legend worthy of uh, worthy of respect and worthy of retelling. But he also, it's a very believable recounting of the past. You know, that's what it would be like. If you just met some old guy and he started telling you, you don't flash back to whatever scenes from their history. You listen to them tell and you listen to the emotions and, and watch their face do it, not just, hey, look, we're going to go back to his time in World War II where we see Pat Morita with some hair dye in. and Right, uh, right, yeah. But, uh, but you see, at the same point, Miyagi whips out this... Um, a, a drum that he says it's the secret to his family's karate lies in this drum, and it's not—it's not really a drum. It, it looks like a little toy. It, it is a drum. It, it is it's a, a little it toy is a... that's like a tiny drum on a stick with two balls on strings hanging on either side, and you twist it—you twist it back and forth, and the drum and the uh, the balls will hit the the drum on either end. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's from there that Daniel is. That's sort of the hint to Daniel unlocking this this new level of the Miyagi style of martial arts. What I like is they actually the martial arts. Yeah, in the first movie with the crane kick is. I, you guys do know I'm a martial artist. I've been doing I've done karate and sword play for uh, quite some time, and the crane kick things kind of eh, but. The the basic concept they come up with as with the drum is actually very believable. Hmm. And I just wish that at the ending scenes they had executed it better, whoever the fight choreographer was. But we'll get to that one. Well, you know what I love? My favorite thing in the dojo though is those like those scrolls on the walls with like the 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 the, the rules of of the martial arts. Like r- rule one: martial arts are only to be used to defend. <laughs> rule number two. Learn yeah. rule number one. Yeah. It's like Fight Club, but a lot more positive. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So to uh to move on with the movie, you get a lot of um Daniel getting harassed by uh you know, his nemesis and this is Chosen. This yeah, they of... keep having these unfortunate run ins and Chosen and his lackeys really are looking down on Daniel. And Chosen I think is a great um nemesis for for daniel because he's much taller even though still lean but see i think he's kind of i don't really like him as a nemesis i don't no? think 
they set up. I don't think they set up why he dislikes Daniel so much. I mean, it's certainly not it's as not well like... set up as um, well the stuff with what is it, Johnny, Johnny. right? Yeah, in the first one. Yeah, the Johnny thing made a lot more sense. He, he was after the girl too, and so that you really had that contention. But chosen, you don't understand. You know that he feels that it's some sort of honor thing. You don't get that from him. You just feel like this is guy's a dick, and that's all he wants to do. Well, I think that's the thing. He's a dick that thinks he has a sense of honor. But it's effective in that you immediately hate Chosen or and are on Daniel's side. Which is sad, because I think I, I like to kind of like my villains a little bit. You know, I kind of, I could see where Johnny was coming from, and I felt, I felt more strongly about him as a villain than I did about uh, Chosen. I mean, Chosen is, you know, he's not as great as a villain as uh, Jeremy Irons from the Dungeons and Dragons movie. But... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I think he gets the job done. You're right. Now, the more I think about it, he's not as great as the as Johnny or that whole uh, Cobra Kai game is very iconic from that first film. But they could have done um, much worse, as you'll see when you talk about Karate Kid 3 next week. Uh... Oh, actually, you know what? There, there's a whole lot of of Daniel just like getting getting immersed in in Japan, and there's a, a thing. Oh, excuse me. There, there's there's a wonderful prolonged sequence where where uh, Daniel and Kumiko are just are are going around this this town in Japan, and they see they see a martial arts dojo, you know that where where chosen and some of his goons are practicing. But then they also like he like takes her into what is like I guess a bar. Oh, this is this is one of my favorite scenes, man. Oh no, and she and she's warning him. No, no, that's a bad place. He's, no, no, I just want to go in and look around. And they go in, and it's a bar, and it's full of like it's full of uh, of like Americans. So I'm I'm guessing maybe this is a place where the people from the military base go when they're off duty or something. Which um, is funny. The um the the black guy there is actually the guy who plays Trevette on Walker Texas Ranger. Oh, cool. But but all the guys all the guys there are doing this thing where they have this rack where they put in these blocks of ice and they're like you know punching through the ice trying to show how tough they are and they're they're placing bets on it and uh, chosen catches Daniel there and uh, there's you know all this talk and and the the short of it is that Daniel's like oh I bet I bet they, you know they're challenging Daniel whether he can do it and Daniel's trying to do the honorable thing and like hey we don't need to get into a comp- competition over this. And then Miyagi comes in and uh, and play and like asks what the odds are that Daniel can or cannot punch through the ice, and like it's tremendous odds. So he places a bet that Daniel can punch through six blocks of ice at once. So what are we gonna do? You will breathe. No, I will pray. And lo and behold, Daniel does it using this focus technique that he learned in when he was in like one of the very first scenes of this film. And it works. They win a lot of money, but that just just drives chosen into an even greater frenzy. You know, I think the See, big thing I love about that scene is, I, I well, for one thing, I freaking love the song that's playing in the background there. Yeah. Which it took me forever to find that that was a Booty Blue song. Oh yeah. And huh. It's an amazing because it has such a weird Asian vibe to it that it's like, oh, I gotta find the song. But what I love is that. Daniel actually shows that he understands karate. He just doesn't do it, but he understands how it works. Because when he's commenting on, oh, yeah, he's not going to do it. No, see, look how he's standing, you know? He doesn't have the, this. And that that's interesting because it's not just karate 
in this movie is not just, yeah, we're going to kick some ass. Like, they actually delve a little more into it as, as, a, as a way of being, as a, as a, a lifestyle, as a science. But one of the other interesting things, though, is that Chosen makes a big deal about how he's not going to pay, because Miyagi's now won the bet, has won a substantial amount of money, and Chosen you know, makes this big deal about how we're not going to honor the bets of dishonorable folk, but then you know, who, uh, who should come in but, uh, but his uncle, who, Sato, and Sato's like, no, we, we will honor the bet. And you can you can sort of start to see a kind of respect growing between him and Miyagi. Yeah, I mean those two characters, Miyagi and Sato, certainly have a <clears throat> a, a history and a relationship, unlike between Daniel and Chosen. Uh, see, one of the, I I like I love what happens after this scene where the, where they go and they they get the money and they oh hey what are we gonna do with it Mr. Miyagi yeah you'll get college tuition. And then we get Chinese food and everything. Yeah! <laughs> I guess the kind of thing you see at the end of a movie, like, yeah, yeah Chinese food. And just the look on everyone's face is hilarious. Yeah. Now, isn't it pretty soon after this where there was the hurricane and everything near the end? Well, well first, there, uh, first Daniel takes... Uh, oh, excuse oh me. they go to the 1950s themed dance. Yeah, yeah, he, take, <laughs> he takes... Uh, the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Could we go to that? One thing I loved about those dances is that all the Japanese people are wearing like 1950s fashion, and it reminds me of those like fashion groups. Uh, I, I know there's a correct name for this. Sadly, I do not know what it is. But those like fashion groups and cliques that exist in like Shinjuku and other areas. I mean, you know, in a way, I guess you mean sort of like the 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 clubs and meetups they have in the United States where people get together to do swing dancing or square dancing and dress up. Well, yeah, but I'm speaking more specifically to that. There, there's like a there's sort of a uh, a Japanese sort of tradition of people refining and adopting different fashion style. It's not it's not cosplay, but cosplay is connected to it. And, and I am I am upset that I'm not remembering what this is. Hmm. But one thing I like about it is it shows um, the absorption of American culture in Japan at the time. Uh, they were taking stuff. From here, just as, as we were taking things like karate and what have you, right. and using it to make our movies, there, you know, at the same time they were using American things. It was interesting to see the, the interplay of the two cultures going back and forth. Well, I mean, also if you want to speak on sort of a meta level, uh, the Karate Kid movies themselves, you know, inspired dojos and stuff in the United States and people collecting bonsai bushes. And aside from the Karate Kid, another big. Um, you know, sort of Asian, uh, in this case, this was a book and a miniseries, was a Shogun by James oh. Clavell. It was like a 14-hour miniseries starring, um, what was that guy's name? Toshiro Mifune was in it. Uh, yes, Toshiro Mifune, very good, was in it. And um, I'm thinking, not Richard Roundtree. Uh, <laughs> shit. Some other well, you know, actor was in it, but I mean, that was a big epic about Japan and featured karate and judo and all those sort of things. Well, you know, kind of like the, it was kind of like Roots, but for Japan. Uh, exactly right, and you know, like that you, between that and Karate Kid, also inspired the rise of uh, sushi restaurants in the United States. Or, or like the the Martian Chronicles miniseries, what that was for my people. It, um, we it, something I, I love about the dance, though, is like when we first enter the dance, the very first thing we see, you know, all the people in poodle skirts and greaser outfits. 
and they're doing their thing. But the song they're they're playing uh, "Rock Around the Clock," and immediately I think, oh, that was the beginning of the theme for "Happy Days," which also starred Pad Morita. Oh yeah, I totally didn't even catch that. Wow. Yeah. I guess I, that's how that's how much to me the movie stands on its own that on its own that I when I see Pat Morita playing Mr. Miyagi, I don't think of him as Arnold. But actually, in the uh, in the uh, the dance, uh, the this dance also just serves as the lo- the location for another confrontation between uh, Chosen and Daniel. Chosen tries to steal the money back from Daniel. Uh, Daniel's been punched in the gut, fall, falls to the floor, but then he remembers this prank Miyagi pulled on him, where Miyagi faked punching Daniel in the testicles. <laughs> I joked that it was the secret primary target. So Daniel uses that to punch Chosen in the junk. Grabs, takes the money back, and then leaves with his girl. See, I I love that. I love that they actually, through all the rest of the Karate Kid movies, they nobody ever actually gets jumped. You know, and yeah, so, I think you know uh, Daniel punching someone in the balls in this one is sort of the equivalent in the first movie of Daniel putting the hose in the bathroom stall that Johnny is in. He's doing a brazen act to deliberately piss off his uh, aggressor. And isn't well, being shy about who's doing the uh, act. Well, the testicle punch that that is in this dance scene, I don't see that as Johnny being brash. I just see him as like, you know, this, I want to end this as quickly as possible. Best way to do that, go for the testicles. It's it's true. There There's a few places that are your first, your primary targets. The instep, the testicles, and the throat. Those are your, you want to end it quick, that's what you go for. Yeah, when I took judo, they always taught us uh, to try and choke the other guy out as quickly as possible. But then judo is more like wrestling. Um, oh, hey, look Look who's here to tell us about martial arts. It's Paul Lin. Well, you know, I always prefer to scratch the eyes out. Thank you, Mr. Paul Lin. <laughs> so, Paul Lin, what would you call the, the move of uh, hitting someone's junk, hitting them in the junk? Well, well I'd call it unpleasant. Well, besides unpleasant, you must have a certain nickname for such a maneuver. I mean, you've done that so much in your big career as Templeton the Rat in uh, Charlotte's Web. Well, well, what you're forgetting is Templeton the Rat didn't punch people in the testicles. He he just chewed them off with those big incisors of his. He, he punched them in the uh, testicles in the version. I must have seen the director's cut of Charlotte's Web. Very interesting. All right, thank Directed you. Directed by Alan Smithy, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, okay, thank you, uh, Mr. Lind. Oh, it's always a pleasure, mostly mine. <laughs> uh, that's, what, that's what I always think when I punch someone in the balls. You know, I'm having more of a fun time than they are. Uh, <laughs> you need to be careful, Uncle Milkshake. If, if, if she, <laughs> you can, when you call upon Paul Lind, he can begin to haunt you. Sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> also, friends, don't try this at home. Don't hit your your mortal enemy in the nuts. It just pisses them off more. Maybe for the graphic for the Karate Kid 2 episode, I'll take the Karate Kid 2 poster and put Paul Lin's face on top of Miyagi's. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. Well, yeah, so, so so then, of course, you know, Chosen is pissed off, so Chosen and his goons... They kidnap they, uh, Kumiko, right? Well, not... Well, no, they they go. They were trying to smash the dojo. They, they beat up Daniel. We're trying to take her and do God knows what with her, and, uh, and that's when he pulls the nut shot. But they also trashed the dojo. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was uh, well. That, that was that was part of 
getting Miyagi to come out and fight Sato because the three days were up. Oh, right. But right. but they have it. Isn't this this is where they lay an ultimatum that Daniel has to fight Chosen, and it's a real fight, possibly to the death. Never anybody's telling you tell me they were going to kill me before. Yeah, well, Johnny. Yeah, Johnny never told me. I mean, it's an effective way to up the stakes. I mean, they're not fucking around this time. Well, well, it's it's- like once you've gone to crazy actual Japanese martial artists threatening to kill you, where do you go from there? The airport. Like, possibly have a sequel well yeah I, I, something that that really kind of stuck in my mind he would have to fight a ninja i mean what, next what episode was... i'll tease what the original uh treatment for karate kid part three was it was supposed to be much bigger in scope but um well well th- something that occurs to me are there no police in okinawa because a lot of blatantly illegal things go on and no one ever goes to the police and i guess yeah you could say they're in they're in the pocket of 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 Sato's company or something, but but come on, houses are being vandalized, people's lives are being threatened. The police never get involved. You know, I'm willing to bet Sato, even though they don't say as much, is part of the yakuza, the uh, Japanese mafia, so to speak. And um, the yakuza also pays off the Japanese police with a lot of stuff. So I don't think I'm not sure if he he is. I mean, we don't get any indication that he is, and. Sure dresses I think it's just like one it. of those things you have to draw that conclusion. If you're aware of what the Yakuza are, you realize for what he is. Yeah, the only police officer I've seen that I recall seeing this movie is a is a traffic cop when they're when they're on the streets in the city. Well, you see, I, I know what it is. The police are too busy uh, ra- rounding up the rowdy Americans from the airbase. <laughs> you know that's probably true. There's a big um, in Japan a lot of. Not all, but a lot of local Japanese are kind of upset about American army bases still being there. And, um, you know, doing... Hey, once weapons. North Korea and China start acting up, then they're all happy to have us there. That's true. Yep. Fair point. But um, well, we're at the climax of Karate Kid 2 now. Well, this film really does have two climaxes. It has the storm climax yeah. and then the fight at the festival climax. Um, See, I actually think the storm is more of a, a real climax to the to the than the festival fight. I felt the festival fight was kind of meh. What was the, the festival fight? Is the denouement? You're correct. <clears throat> but, but yeah, yeah the storm. Man, that storm is awesome. I, I love the start because he he's doing that. He's doing the awkward foreigner thing while she's trying to do the tea ceremony for him. Oh, that is such a romantic scene. Except he's being a douche. Well, why is he? Why, why is he being a douche? Uh, just the way he's. Well, she's trying to do this very romantic, serious thing, and he's goofing around, joking about it. Well, well, that's well, part of that character, though. I mean, Daniel a, makes a lot of jokes. Daniel makes a lot of jokes at his own expense. Hello. Well, I think Hello? I think what it is with with the the teaser money is I don't think Daniel's goofing around or making jokes. Uh, Daniel, I don't think has ever been in a situation as formal as that that tea ceremony. And, and while martial arts has taught him a lot of self discipline and control, you know, he, he as I said, he's still finding his way around women. And and what we're seeing are just sort of sort of cracks in his control, cracks in his facade. I don't think there's anything disrespectful meant by it. Right, I mean, I, I've uh, witnessed part of a, an abridged version of a tea ceremony at um, a, a cultural event in Atlanta, Georgia. And even the abridged version was like 10 minutes, 
and it was um, very much like watching a choreographed dance or something. It's quite involved, has a lot of focus. To um, and you know they let you try the tea at the end, and the tea, frankly, isn't isn't great. But that's not the point. The point. Well, what you know, you're is, paying for is the ceremony. Yeah, you're paying for the the atmosphere and the ceremony. In fact, the tea, you know, it's not tea leaves. It's the ground up tea powder, which um, is what they use in a green tea ice cream. So. But yeah, so they're they're doing and it's, it's very romantic, very touching. I will even say kind of erotic scene, and then this monsoon just kind of sweeps into the village, and so they have to ev- they have to evacuate because they were doing it in an abandoned fishing shack for some reason. Uh, you actually, you know what it was? It was the place. If you remember from before, he, Mr. Miyagi tells Daniel this is where he and Yukie had their first date. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Point. To me, actually, there's an even more romantic scene, which comes before this. She's out there. She's feeding, throwing rice in the water. And he's like, well, what are you doing? And she explains the legend of how they would they would offer rice to the gods that the fishermen would come back soon. And then to Daniel me, puts his junk in the rice. That's so romantic. <laughs> Red beans and rice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I felt that that was a much more romantic scene. I think because he was he was quiet and observant, and he actually was like, it, he he looked like he was actually getting the fact that she really likes him, and is torn about the fact that he's got to leave, and she's got family obligations to stay there. <clears throat> yeah, I yeah, mean, certainly the time limit that he's there is, uh, like Thrasher said in the beginning of the show, is something that Daniel has to keep in consideration with this relationship. If you can call it a relationship, how serious to take it? Uh, so well then, but but yeah, but then we got that. Um, but the whole relationship—well, not relationship, but that whole beautiful moment—gets interrupted with the monsoon, and so you know, it, the winds are powerful enough that it's knocking down buildings and people are fleeing. And when when they first, when Miyagi and Daniel first arrive in Okinawa. Uh, Daniel points out there's an old there's an old pillbox which was a, a gunnery emplacement slash bunker from from World War II that's still standing, and that's where everybody goes to be protected from the force of the storm. But not everybody makes it. There's actually a few people trapped out in the nasty weather. And it is after. Have you guys have ever been in a hurricane? Or oh, a- I have. Oh man, that it's it's crazy out there. The wind really is that bad. And- and nuts. It's and it is amazing. I, I, that's one of the reasons I like this part is because they show this terrifying event that no one can control, and the bravery you know that that comes out in people at that time. It's it's, it's wonderful and inspiring. Because when 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 most of the people are safe in the pillbox, that's when Daniel notices outside there's a woman with a baby and a very young boy. Who are who are stuck outside? So he and Miyagi go uh, to to bring them back. But while they're doing that, a, a building collapses, and it turns out Sato was in that building that collapses. So Daniel and Miyagi run out to that building to try to rescue him, and, and and Sato is pinned under a beam and gives this whole speech. But oh, Miyagi, is this the only way you can defeat me? You come to me when I'm helpless to kill me, and once again, something that's laid in very early in the in, in the movie. There's a, a picture of a martial artist breaking a, a, a log, and Daniel comments, "Hey Miyagi, do you know, can you break can you break a, a log with your fist?" He goes, "Don't know, I've never tried." And Miyagi looks like he's going to punch Sato, when instead he brings his hand down on the beam and splits it so they can get it off of him. 
They actually referenced that another time before. Like, Miyagi goes to see Sato, and Sato's out back. Like, it's this big freaking construction beam trying to break it, and he's just not yeah. doing it. He's like, oh, hey, you know, is that that wood we found on the beach a while ago? Yep, same wood. Oh, really? Still can't break it? No. Uh, <laughs> But then there's also, but then there's also another girl that Daniel saves. There's a young girl stuck in a ladder who had been ringing the storm warning bell, and you know, nobody takes his belt and try and hits the, the hits the power cords to belt. untangle him. Yeah, but it's pretty and it's pretty cool. And like you know, Sato and Chosen is in the is in the pillbox as well with Sato, and Sato tells Chosen to help rescue the girl, and Chosen doesn't does not want to go out, and. And this is this is really the point where where Sato Sato's hostility towards Miyagi goes away because he now sees how futile that hostility is and how what a decent person Miyagi is that there is no reason to have this kind of vendetta. Which is why the next day Sato shows up with a whole construction crew to help rebuild the village. But even though Sato may has uh, forgiven the whole thing, Chosen is still quite angry with Daniel. And that brings us to the festival dance. Well, can we sort of wrap this up? We're running sort of late. Oh, yeah, certainly. So, so, so yeah, there's there's an old castle foundation where they used to have this dance, and Cho, and uh, Sato owned it and wouldn't let people go on the property, so they hadn't had the dance there in many years. And, you know, he's had his, he's had his Grinch moment, his change of heart. So he opens it back up to the people, and they're doing this, this you know, you know, traditional festival dance, but wouldn't you know it, Chosen shows up to threaten to murder Kumiko. It, it, it is over the top, but I mean, you're trying to have the highest stakes in the final confrontation in the movie. Yeah, well, one, one thing I noticed, though, about this dance is that everybody's wearing, like, traditional Japanese garb. Even Daniel is wearing this, like, traditional outfit, but he's still got the popped 80s collar. <laughs> blue jeans. Yeah, he was wearing blue. He was wearing like a bathrobe. It looked like a bathrobe, like it was cheesy. But yes, yeah, so you know, there's this. You know, he has a final showdown. And one thing I love about this fight, though, the showdown between Daniel and and Chosen, is that it's it's a brutal fight. They're getting hurt. Yeah, no, compared to the stuff in the first movie, where you know you're in a dojo and it's much more well, structured. Compared- Compared to action movies at all, like they are clearly suffering injury over the course of this battle, and that's what I what makes this fight sequence really work for me. These are real people suffering real injuries. These aren't action heroes. It makes it so much more real, and it makes me care so much more about the outcome because I act, honestly do believe one of them could die. Yeah, I love when he he misses that kick and hits the statue, and the statue breaks, and you just know like. Holy crap! That would have broken Daniel in half. Yeah. Like these dudes mean to—they mean business. And of course, you know the, the fight goes on, and and Daniel figures out that whole drum thing where there's a way you can twist your body to dodge the blow and then come back with a counter punch that can just lay your foe out. And one thing that's so great about this fight, though, is Daniel actually sets up to do the crane kick and gets his leg kicked out from under him. That maneuver doesn't doesn't serve him here. But that that punch, that twist, that drum thing does, and he and he gets Chosen down, and he's and he's got the ability to kill Chosen, which is what Chosen suspects. And Daniel gives kind of a speech, then honks Chosen's nose like Mr. Miyagi did to the Cobra Kai guy, and then walks away. Yeah, See, the problem I have with it is they set it up. This, it's a great martial arts fight. Like the choreography is great until that last scene with the drum scene. 
because they just do this kind of close up over the shoulder of Chosen, and all you see is Daniel throwing haymakers at. Him. There's no like actual. He's not twisting and turning like the drum. He's not pivoting. Yeah, he's just sort of like ah, he's just going, you know, ape shit, as opposed to really, you know, bending and coming with that counter. Yeah, you. They could have showcased the move a little bit better. I mean, they, maybe they, they maybe they had some sort of problems with production. They lost their choreographer, or, or realized that maybe they didn't like the way that it came up originally, and they're like, oh, let's go with this over the head one. Well, and when you film fight scenes with a lot of close-ups, that makes it very difficult to read the choreography a lot, uh, too. So, so yeah, I mean, overall, Karate Kid 2 could have been a lot worse. Is it a really necessary sequel, as far as the story goes? I won't say it's necessary. Not really, but it's, it's, but it's, it a, fun, it's a fun little journey, sure. You get more about Miyagi. Uh, it is its own movie. I, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I put I put personally I put it on par with the original. Would you like it more than the original? I don't like it more, but it well it's it's like two, it's like two children. Don't make me choose. <laughs> I, I gotta agree with you, Thrasher. I gotta agree with you on that. I, I wouldn't. I don't think I could choose between the two. It's not given us the same story, but it's given us the same characters, and yet we see those characters develop. The Dan- Daniel and Miyagi from the be- are different people by the end of the movie, but they are still Daniel and Miyagi. Yeah, I mean, I, I think overall the-, the first movie I think is by far better, just because it's something I can relate to more. But the setting in Karate Kid Two is is great. They do enough twists to the formula. The structure is very strong, you know, with the tweaking of the nose stuff happening at the beginning and the end, and so forth. And um, you know all the all the interesting things they did with this sequel. I wish they would have tried to carry that on for uh, the later movies in the series. Yeah, it's a it's it's such a shame because this is a very very good franchise up to this point. I I think it just kind of something clicked, and after this fight, it just kind of goes downhill. Yeah. So uh, next week on SequelCast, we'll be talking about The Karate Kid Part 3. Oh, um, can I get in one one more bit of trivia? Sure. I watched through the entire credits. Of I'm this sorry. Movie. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but I I saw something that like I, that just jumped out at me. Uh, towards the end of the credits, it says, uh, the title Karate Kid is used with permission of DC Comics. Because at the time, there was the Karate Kid comic book that came up after the uh, the original movie. No, no, the the Karate Kid was a DC superhero that started in the late seventies. Uh, by that time, he had been spun off into his own book, but he was like I think a member of Young Justice or Teen Titans or something. But there had been a Karate Kid character in uh, in the DC universe since the seventies, and I, I totally did not know this. This movie. This huh. movie also educated me by opening up a corner of the DC universe I've been previously unaware of. But I'm sure there must have been a Karate Kid comic book based on this movie or something, right? Oh, absolutely. Or like an adaptation of the movie. It. it was either a comic book or a cartoon. I don't remember which. Well, well there's there a cartoon, but we'll we'll talk about that on the uh, uh, last episode we do. And there's always a comic book version of the cartoon. <laughs> yeah, sure. Adventures of the title. But um, it's especially from stuff from the '80s. Yep. Oh. So. This is uh, Thrasher, or fuck. <laughs> uh, and this, EJ. Yeah, no, this is uh, Uncle Milkshake. 
And Thrasher. And BJ. Saying. You like sake. Honk. Rongulin, the strongest sake. End up in China. Okay. <laughs> very good. All right, thank you. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. See you next week. Bye. Thank you, man. The sequel cast airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Cascadia.fm online internet streaming radio you can also download episodes of the sequel cast from www.sequelcast.com